0: you ever had your teeth kicked in, spiritually, emotionally, we had a, a terrible dream that didn't make sense and never happened before, and it's oppressive and dark, dirty, filthy, Maybe intimidated, lied to? Uh, the truth is, life is hard, following Jesus is hard, but the Lord is strong. Uh, that's this morning. The reality of our war, the reality of our battle, the reality of life being difficult. But our Lord is strong and has vast strength. I, if you haven't been with his Ephesians, he said it in uh, chapter 1 of powerful power. In the original language, it's dynamis in the Greek, which, which we get dynamo. It's explosive power this is what he has. And so the reality is it's, it's hard. Following Jesus is difficult and demons are real, but the Lord is strong. Now, I'll give you two minutes of our, our demonology, okay? There's not demons behind every rock, but there are some demons behind some rocks. I said two minutes. That was it. I'm done. <laughs> but that's the truth. And that's what we got to see this morning. And I, I've tried to convince you for five years that if you grew up in public school, if you grew up in the West, you are form-shaped, influenced by a naturalistic worldview. And I don't have time this morning to try to convince you that we're in a supernatural world, a fathered world where things really happen, and there's stuff beyond you can see. I don't have time for that. I could say that isn't that hollow and meaningless? Doesn't that give you no hope isn't that just not even real to your experience? Don't you hope for something transcendent? There's something supernatural. I could say all those things. I won't. But demons are real. Following Jesus is difficult, but the Lord is strong. So Ephesians 6, I want you to see it with me. Verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength so finally this means after all I've said the doctrines the exhortation the rebukes the encouragement here's one more thing but it's not a tack on you shouldn't think about oh he needs just kind of conclude this he needs to wrap it up he he's getting some fluff in there to like finish you know his 2,000 word expectation that's not him this finally should be like hey I just told you how life is hard. I told you how difficult it is. Then I told you that Jesus has saved you, given you a new heart, given you a a new identity in him. Then I've showed you how to live out that new identity in in your relationships, in the church, in your marriage, in your, your work. I've showed you all this, your parenting. But let's just be honest. Everything I've just told you is tough is beyond the scope of your abilities and capabilities, beyond the scope of your strength. You can tell me that you, I'll just speak to husbands, you really love your wife like Christ of the church by your own strength. You really sacrifice, lay down your preferences, <laughs> uh, 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 put aside some of your time, your energy to pour out and pour out and pour out and you do that by your own strength. no. So, in all this, he's saying we've got to be strengthened by the Lord to do this. This is a passive action. This is a passive verb, but it's an imperative. So, he means actively, passively be strengthened by the Lord. Is that confusing? It's a little bit. What he's saying is we are to intentionally put ourselves in the passive position where we can be strengthened by the Lord. So, it is active. And past, it's both happening. We are to draw strength from the Lord, to allow him to make us strong. Now hear this. He did not say, be strong. He didn't just say, be strong. He didn't say, hey, you're having a rough time. Hey, the enemy's hissing lies into your ears. Be strong. Hey, the enemy is trying to snuff out your faith, muster up your courage, white knuckle it, and be strong. Be strong by itself is like telling a crying kid to hug himself. You gave him something to do, but it's useless. It's not going to help. The more than useless, be strong by itself is dangerous. Dangerous. Relying on your own strength against cosmic powers is like me throwing 70 mile per hour fastballs at my 8U team yesterday. It's like, just line up the K's in the outfield because I'm smoking all these fools, right? Like, that's what's gonna happen. But let's be honest, I couldn't throw 70 miles per hour yesterday, right? That shouldn't even happen. More honest is I've never thrown 70 miles per hour and that's the truth. but even that analogy is too sweet, it's too kind, it's too nice, it's too fluffy. Self-reliance and spiritual warfare is like signing up to fight Mike Tyson in his heyday. You're gonna get smashed. Why do it? It's foolish. Who told you you should do this? Who's promoting this fight? You're foolish. Stay from away from the other words. Foolish. We don't strengthen ourselves we draw our strength from an external source. This light doesn't light itself. It pulls electricity power so that it can light up. We're very similar to this. Not be strong. You can do it. Now pull yourself from the boot Be better. Be a better leader. Be more. Figure out all the, the nuances of how to lead people and do this. You are going to get smashed. Warning. I have been. Others in this room have been. Standing on your own two feet, fighting against the cosmic powers of this present evil age. It's suicide. One author says, the strength of an earthly general is in his troops. But in the Christian life, the strength of the troops is in their general. That's King Jesus. That's our strength. He's not saying, hey, there's something uh, that I need to do. I need to gather a bunch of people so that I can win this war. You know what happened? We're about to see it. The divine warriors showed up and killed our enemies for us and said, hey, welcome to the party. After Moses' death, this is what God told Joshua. Be strong and courageous. For you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, select finally. Be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? One more time. Haven't I told you? Twice already. Be strong and courageous. Now it kind of sounds what I said, right? He's just telling them to be strong. No, all of this is rooted in God's presence. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you. Not muster up your strength but be strengthened because he's with you. Again, I said it last week but that's what we mean, right? When we say he'll never let us down. does not that what we really mean when we sing these songs and we say this to one another? It can't mean that he won't he won't put us through the valley of shall death because he told us he will. And throughout the scriptures, his people did. So it can't be that. It has to be what the psalmist actually says, and it says that Jesus is going to be with you there. He doesn't stop on this side of the mountain and say, I'm going to take the train around, and I'll meet you on the other side. I got You got it. He'll never let you down means you're going to go through some dark times. You're going to be harassed by the enemy. You're going to butt up against the dark, ferocious schemes of the devil. But be strong and courageous because your King Jesus is with you every step. It's by his presence that we're strengthened. It's by him being with us that we're strong. It's that he will not leave us will not say hey you take these next three miles by yourself the beauty is that he will be with us in it all so you can be courageous why i, I never bow down for the bullies on my block when my brother is around did you no if he's not around i get beat up but if he's around i'm not i'm not scared Do you hear me? I'm not timid. I'm not terrified. I'm not overly speculating about all the things that demons might be doing. You know what I am? My brother's got me. That's it. It's basic trust. It's basic. He's here. He loves me. He's going to take care of me. And if anyone does throw a, a, a punch at me, he's got my back. But it's not only Joshua 1. You, you know that most likely. It's throughout the Old Testament. There's about 50 I could give you. I'll give you a few more. 1 Samuel 36 says that David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops, his troops, talked about stoning him, about killing him. For they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Everyone in that moment, it probably felt like it was out to get him, to ruin him, to get him off the throne, to kill him. And you don't see him whimpering away. Oh, everyone rejects me. Oh, they don't like me anymore. What you see is him with the Lord drawing strength, not being crushed by even close friends, not enemies close friends, not crushed, but drunk, strengthful Lord. Psalm 18, 31 through 32 says it this way. I skipped one, sorry. You can go back to 2 Chronicles, Ben. Listen carefully, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number. We've got 100 people, they got got 100,000. Do not be afraid or discouraged why for the battle is not yours but God's and then the psalmist pick it up and says it multiple times very lyrically and beautifully so that we can sing it and help our emotions to actually uh, believe this and rest in this and he says for who is God besides the Lord and who is a rock only our God God he clothes me with strength and makes my perfect my way perfect Now, if you go back to verse 1, I think that's the hook, the chorus of this psalm. I think they probably sing this on repeat. And this is what they said. I love you, Lord, my strength. My strength. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. What's vast strength? How strong is our God? Genesis 1 is on his resume. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I said they're wrong. Them. Jonah. Him. How strong to create to hold the sun for days, to pull people, to be with people while they're not in a a campfire, they're in a burning furnace and they come out because King Jesus is with them and they don't even smell like smoke. I think that's the miracle. All my campfires, I have to take a shower after it smell like smoke. These guys are in the fire and they walk out smelling like they just put dove deodorant on. It's amazing. Why? Because the Lord is strong. That's why. Because his vast strength. He's got Genesis 1. Speaking everything to existence. He's got John 3. Creating you. Then recreating you giving you a new heart, making you alive. You were dead in your trespasses with no hope and no God, and he breathed life onto you just like he breathed life into the cosmos and gave you life. This is his resume. This is his strength. He's the reigning, defending, undefeated champion of the world. Vast strength. So, how might we be made strong by the Lord? How might we draw strength? How might we passively, actively allow him to strengthen us? It's not wild. It's not crazy. And I want to answer this because I think some of you read this text 10 years ago and said, I don't really know what this means. And so you're unequipped and you're getting harassed and ke- your teeth kicked in. It's not wild. It's, it's what he's been saying throughout this whole letter. How do you draw strength from the Lord? Well, how do I help? How do I coach a kid yesterday? Well, if, if I'm talking to all the kids on the baseball field right here and one kid's in left field, you know, chasing butterflies and picking up flowers, I can't really help him. You know what I mean? I'm helping these people, but I can't help him. He's just out there by himself. I'm saying, hey, buddy, come here. And he won't. I can't strengthen him. I can't build him. I can't coach him. I can't help. Very similar with Jesus. And so, what does it look like to be made strong through prayer? Do speaking, do communing with him. Do you hear me communing? We say this a lot. It bears repeating. We're talking about communing with the Father by snuggling up in His lap and talking and being with Him. Prayer. That's drawing strength. Fasting. Saying. No to this, so that I can grow in my hunger for you, and so that you, above all, are what's the highest treasure in my heart, my life, and all my relationships. Through fasting, that's how you draw strength. Being made weak, being made weak, seeing how finite seeing how much your desires control you, see how much you operate your life by your feelings and not by truth. That's what fasting for. So you draw near to him even in your weakness. You're you're taking food or whatever from you, making weak, but in that you're being strengthened by the Lord. By making certain that biblical truth is forever flowing in our spiritual veins. The enemy loves to lie, to harass, to accuse. We're about to talk about it. If you want to get smashed and start doing what has happened throughout human history, listen to the serpent. Throughout human history, his one note, his one exposed, clear strategy is to say, did God really say that? Do you really trust him? Does he really have your best interest at heart? Does he really care about you? You're not even really a Christian. Where's your righteousness? What's going on? loves to lie to you. And if biblical truth is not flowing through your veins, then you're going to get smashed, derailed, confused, lost. Through the fellowship and encouragement of the Christians, being together, that's how you're strengthened. Being with God's people, exercising the gifts, encouraging through praise and worship. Maybe that's why the charismatics are so much stronger than us. They're much better than us. At this. this is a joke. Um, <laughs> sorry, you guys took that like a real. You're like, oh, you got me. I was joking, sorry. But this is the truth. There's something about God filling up your tank, filling up your strength as you adore and praise him. As you acknowledge the glory of the Lord, as you exalt him above all things, as you praise him, Delight in him. He strengthens you. By taking the Lord's Supper. By remembering this is God's grace to us. Coming forward taking this is why I am who I am. Because Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed for me. Through anointing and filling of the Holy Spirit. Pray for that. Lean into that. You can stop thinking about feeling like filling glass in a bottle. Think more about feeling like feeling wind in cells sails of a ship. It's always in there, but sometimes God just f- full sails, full speed ahead. And lastly, by adorning ourselves with the armor of God, that's how we're strengthened. And that's verse 11. So verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, now, Roman soldiers had very specific armor. A lot of people have talked about this. Paul's in prison at this time. He, he's in the Roman world, so he's aware he probably has a soldier right beside him, observing him at all times. And so they say, hey, they had this weaponry, then he talks about this. No, it's, it's not that. Like, he, he observed things. But Paul's not overly impressed by the Roman war machine. You know what he's impressed by? The divine warrior. He's not meditating on the Roman soldier. Beside him. He's re- meditating on Isaiah 11, Isaiah 59 that says, Our God is the divine warrior. Our king, uh, the one who created us, is the one who fights our battles. If you don't believe me, look at it. Isaiah 11. But God will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. That's why Paul says put on God's armor, because God wears this. This is what he does. And then he won the battle for you, and now he's given you this armor so that you can deal with the battles. He's won the war. The best thing we have to, to, to really understand this is the difference between like D-Day and V-Day. Jesus saying it is finished is like World War II D-Day. The, the victory is decisive. It's won. It's over. But between thou and V-Day there's a lot of skirmishes we've got to keep dealing with. There's a lot of other places we need to go and fight and make sure everything's done. Do you hear me? The divine warrior has won the war. And then given us all the equipment we need for all these battles until we see him in glory. Isaiah 59 goes on. Truth is missing. And whoever turns from evil is plundered. The Lord saw that there was no justice and he was offended. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation. And his own righteousness supported him. He, the Lord, Put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of visions for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So he will repay according to their deeds, fury to his enemies, retribution to his foes. They will fear the name of the Lord in the West and his glory in the East. For he will come like a rushing stream driven by the wind of the Lord. Our God is the divine warrior. He fights for us. He wins the war and then gives us his armor to fight these battles. And what I love is that he saw that there's no man. He saw that there's no one interceding. And so what does he do? He sends himself. The Father tells the Son, "The war Is raging. Go. Go. Fight the battle for the people that can't fight themselves and win them as spoils of war. Win them as your bride. Win them as people that will treasure you as you love them and treasure. And so King Jesus comes the divine warrior. He doesn't put on armor. He puts on flesh and comes in the flesh as the God-man and fights the battle for us. Colossians 3 says this. Colossians 2. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of flesh, He, God the Father, made you alive with Him, Jesus, and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations. That was against us and opposed to us. And it's taken away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. When he's on the cross, naked, publicly mocked and shamed, he's actually shaming the cosmic powers that you don't see. He triumphed over them in him and... He's coming back to set his kingdom fully on earth. Now, when you hear put on, that should take your mind back to Ephesians 4. To put off, to put on, right? To put on this new identity that we have in Christ and to live it out. Clint Arnold, oh, there's a typo in this, Ben. And I messed it up in Alito, so don't worry about it. I'll just read it. Maybe. Knowing the truth of who we are in union with Christ and cultivating the virtues of this new identity and using the resources available through this new relationship are at the heart of what it means to put on the armor of God. That's what he says. But this isn't actually something brand new, he's not making up something else. This is This is equivalent to what he said in chapter four. To put on the truth of God, put on the salvation of God, what? Live in what Christ has secured for you, what he's done to you. Live this identity out all that we may be able to stand against the schemes, the strategies, the plans of the devil. To stand. Now, stand against, maybe it conjures some in your mind just defensively of like, I'm, I'm not going to get pushed back. I'm not going to be overrun. But in the Old Testament, to stand against or to not stand against is to be wiped out. If you're an army and the Old Testament describes you as not being able to stand against, you got demolished. And so it's defensive, yes. You'll see the weapons as we walk through this over the next couple weeks, a lot of defensive stuff. But there's also offense, So what he's saying is that we'd be able to stand against and not be run over, not be pushed over, not not be formed in our thinking by the devil and his minions, but that we would stand firm in the truth, stand firm in who Jesus has made us, and live this out by his strength until we see him face to face. That's what he wants. So, what are they? What are some of the strategies we see there's a few in the Bible. There may be more. I don't know. But here's what we hear. Temptation. Tempting you. It's asking, did God really say? Did God really tell you to do this? Did God really tell you you shouldn't do this? Did God really tell you this is what human flourishing looks like? Tempting you. What, look over there. Keep looking over there. What about that? What about that thing you haven't gotten in a long time? Tempting, tempting, tempting. But he's also accusing. He's also condemning, accusing you of things you haven't done, accusing you of things that aren't true about you, accusing you. In the the Greek, the word is diabolos, which literally translates the slander. And so you're hanging out with Paul, You're talking about the devil. He's going to be calling him the slander because that's what he does. That's his title. He accuses. He lies. He intimidates. Some of you guys get harassed in your home. Noises. Things moving. Some of you guys hear lies from the enemy internally, verbally, intimidate, harass, demonized. Meaning that the devil's strategy is not to leave you alone and let you be. The strategy is to steal, kill, and destroy. Your love, your joy, our family as a whole church, that's what they're after. That's their strategy. There's not peace time. They're not like, oh, we had a pretty good run in the 80s. They're coming after us now perpetually. So stand against it. Be aware of what's happening. Don't be ignorant of the strategies of the devil that bitterness that division that discord that fighting that arrogance do you know who loves that not me not jesus the enemy does feeds on it like golden corral feasting on your anger and your bitterness and our division just going at it why and saying yeah keep going keep fighting with that person keep keep going hard win that point That's what they're doing. Whether you see it or not, whether you're privy to it or not, this is what's happening. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against blood and flesh or flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the stars, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, he writes blood and flesh in the original line so you don't get confused by flesh and sin, Romans style, right? What he's talking about is humans. Your wrestle, your struggle, your battle is not against the person next to you. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not even those antagonistic people in your life. That is not who you have been told to wrestle with. Who you're fighting is whoever is behind and underneath it all. And that's the enemy. Now, he doesn't negate human antagonist. Okay? Think about Paul. Who has been antagonized? Like Paul. Few. Beaten, whipped, mocked, thrown in prison, eventually murdered. He knows the reality of human antagonists that have come against him, but again, he says, beneath it, underneath it all, is not them, it's the enemy he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. The point is that even when we do fight human antagonists, Satan lurks behind their efforts. There's a joke in my, a few of my friendships in my household and with my kids and it's it's from the movie Big Daddy and it's this point where there's a guy walking by and uh, Adam Sandler's character says, you're not mad at me, you're mad at your dad. And we use that all the time. Me and Kaylin joke about it, it's funny. Often it's true uh, for her. Um, just kidding, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> for me and uh, and I think that sentiment would serve us, honestly. Are you really mad at that person? Is your battle really against them? Are you mad at the devil? Or are you getting your teeth kicked in by him? And now you're looking at other people and say it's their fault. Now when he goes into this, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, evil spiritual forces he is using a variety of terms to speak of the devil and all his minions some commentators some will argue that he's speaking also of the socio-political systems structural problems as a whole in the empire he's not directly saying that but in paul's theology and i think in a good biblical theology understanding what's happening in this world and how god has created this world would be able to say yes there are structural, systemic problems, but again, beneath and underneath, who's instigating? Who's lighting this fire? Who's all excited about it? The the enemy, the evil one—that is who. And so, when you think about this, you guys start thinking, and he's talking about all there, there's. There's a lot of powers out there, and and if we list them all off, there, there must be some different kinds of rank. System happening, which means there must be some kind of difference of power and strength. And we can sneak guard going down this road and get a little speculative, which I would say don't. But no matter their rank, no matter their power, here's what we get to believe and remember, and what's really good news for us those powers are subjected powers. defeated powers limping along powers I do like history and so when I've looked at wars in recent wars too sometimes when a enemy or when one side knows that they've lost they don't (laughs) do the right thing the smart thing often and pick up and go home what do they do They start drifting into wild stuff like scorched earth policy and gas. Why? They've already lost. They're going to try to take out as many of you as they can. And this is what the devil is doing. He's already lost, but he's still moving around. He's still coming after you. He's still prowling like a lion looking for a weak, vulnerable person, in our midst, it's kind of off to the side, maybe isolating himself so he can pick off and eat you alive. Hmm. But he's also subjected, defeated, and one day King Jesus is going to throw him into the hellfire that he created for him. And peace will resound through the kingdom forever. Your your Goliath, your giants in your life, your battles in your life, really isn't paying off your debt. Your giant isn't really being single. Your giant isn't your disadvantages. Your true, real-life giants are Satan, sin, and death. And King Jesus, with three nails and a cross, threw a stone into Satan's forehead and it sunk and he defeated him. That's what's happened. That Jesus is the divine warrior who stepped in our place and said, hey, you are not going to win this war, but I will. I have the strength. I have the power. I have the ability. There's no one in this cosmos that I created that can hang with me There's no one going two rounds with me. I will crush everyone. I have all power. I will fight your war. You will be mine. This is what he's done for us. And so, how can we weakly fight the enemy when we have the full strength of the Lord behind us? It doesn't make sense. Now, I don't want to be weak. Sometimes, Well, sometimes I don't want to be seen as weak. But the economy of God's kingdom is is often so different than our economy, so different than our values. And it's actually when I acknowledge my weakness, when I lean into my weakness, when I uh, say, yeah, I am fine, I can't do this. And it's in there where his grace is made all the more visible and good to me. So like Paul, I'll be weak. Why? So I'll be strong in the Lord and be able to stand to the day I die. And not get run over. Not get kicked in the teeth repeatedly. Not drift from the faith. Not go into this whole other place. Not get, <laughs> not get shaped in my mind, renewed in my mind by the worldly ideologies and philosophies around me. I'm going to stand against the enemy and I'm going to stand With the divine warrior as the shadow behind me. Big brother Jesus is here. I'm not scared of these bullies. I'm not scared of these harassment. I'm not scared of your lies. King Jesus is here. And so we're going to kick your butt until you're gone. Okay. Be strong in the Lord put on the full armor of God so that you may stand together. last thing I'll say is feel this corporately. And all the things that I said that are the normal means of grace that draw strength from the Lord, I said one of them was gathering, was being with the people of God. It will be foolish and to your detriment if you isolate yourself. If your primary friends are not people like the people in this room, if you're straggling, if you're the weak one in the herd, don't keep walking away. Pull in. Ask someone for help. Ask someone to pray for you. This is us together. Finishing this race. To the end. To the glory of God. Father, I I pray for that. I ask that you would strengthen us right now. That we would allow you to strengthen us that we would go to you for our strength that we wouldn't create our own strength we wouldn't try to create our righteousness that we wouldn't try to stand on our wit our experience even but what will stand and be firm in by your spirit's power. We'll stand in your truth, stand on your personhood, stand on the gospel, what you've done for us. We'll stand really behind you. Just singing the praises to our king. That has already won our war Jesus, thank you. Spirit, thank you. Father, thank you.